a great joy to be back with you at Burlington Baptist Church. I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Providence Baptist Church. I have uh, wonderful memories with uh, you here as a family um, of Christian brothers and sisters, and I want to tell you that you have been an encouragement and continue to be an encouragement, as Mishi said, to us in Bucharest, and uh, you have been a blessing for many many poor children in that area who do not know you, but uh, they have known uh, Christ's love through what you have done uh, for them through Project Ruth. So thank you for being part of our journey, and uh, thank you for um, uh, continuing to be an encouragement for us all. I also thank Simon and his family for wonderful hospitality, and uh, all the people who came to see us last night, and I was a bit kind of... uh, uh, tired because uh, by the time we met, it was midnight for me in Romania, so uh, I was ready to be on other shores. Um, A few weeks ago, I was in Germany, and I was visiting Wittenberg. Wittenberg is the city where Martin Luther um, started the Reformation. Uh, We're talking hundreds of years ago, even before the English Baptist started, about a hundred years before that. So uh, Visiting one of the chapels there, I saw a very interesting pulpit. The pulpit had the shape of a swan. You know, and the, the, the wings of the swan formed the place where the Bible was laid. And then the head was kind of turned, looking down. It, it looked very nice, and I was kind of surprised. Why would the pulpit look like a swan? You know, usually they have some meaning. And I read an explanation there saying that um, the reason was this. You know, before Luther, there was another reformer in the Czech Republic. His name was Jan Hus. I think in English it's John Hus. And he was a professor at the university. He had some issues with the way theology of the church of his day was, was uh, happening. And he became a, vo- a, 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 a vocal critic of the system. And then he was summoned by the Catholic Church at the time to Lake Constance at a meeting and uh, although he had a, a passage, a free passage from the emperor, upon getting there, he was arrested, put in jail. I think they kept him for something like nine months, uh, trying to persuade him to give up his position. He never did, and they burned him at the stake. So he's one of the smartest. And uh, the story goes that when he was burning at the stakes, uh, at the stake, when he was going to be burned at the stake, uh, the, the people who executed him laughed at him. And his name in Czech means... Uh, duck, uh, uh, no, goose, it means goose. So they said, oh, today we are going to have um, a fried goose. And that was what they told him before he was going to be burned at the stake. And he looked back and said, yes, you may have fried goose today, uh, but out of this fried goose, a swan will be born, and that swan will be harder to be overcome. So that's why the pulpit was a swan. Well, uh, this kind of <laughs> led my thought to a reflection. What does it mean to be, for us, um, uh, strong in faith? We see here the Apostle Paul exhorting uh, Timothy, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. I know that in part of your series of sermons, to, you know, the theme for today is a lasting legacy. And what it, does it mean for us to pass on this legacy of strength to, to people uh, around us, and we look here at Apostle Paul talking like this to Timothy, whom he regarded as a close uh, disciple, as a son. 
So um, uh, this morning, as we reflect uh, on our journey and on uh, Paul's journey, maybe we can um, uh, be inspired by God's Spirit and through this Word um, uh, in our own lives as Christians. Um, I think that we can look at uh, uh, one way to, to be strong in faith is that we need to have a certain attitude. In order to be, to be strong in faith, we need to develop a certain attitude towards our walk with God. I often ask our congregation, what, does, what makes us different as Christians? We are here Sunday morning, we rejoice in being here, and I'm so glad coming to Burlington and seeing balcony full. And it, It's a wonderful day, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very grateful that you have accepted me to, to be here on uh, Remembrance Day, which is also uh, a bigger than just a family day for you. It's also a national important day for you. But what does it mean that we are Christians? How are we different? Or are we any different than people on the street, our colleagues at work, you know? What makes us different? Okay, it makes that we are committed, we are members of a church, we are involved. But uh, beyond that, beyond our commitments, is it uh, something we are kind of trained into? We raise our children to behave in a certain way. One of the challenges we have at the Ruth School is that kids don't behave like normal kids because their parents don't look after them. So in, in Romania, actually, we have a saying. is a, a well-behaved child, we will say, has the first seven years from home, which means that those first seven years are essential in the upbringing of a child. So you say if someone doesn't have the first seven years from home, oh, they will not be well-behaved. Um, I, I really think that we as Christians, one of the important things is that we need to look at the world with other eyes and have a deeper understanding. The Apostle Paul in, in Corinthians, uh, uh, somewhere else, talks about this. Don't expect unspiritual people to understand spiritual things. You, know, you shouldn't expect the world to understand, but you as spiritual people don't think of the world like the unspiritual. So there is really a, a big difference in, in, in the way we look at things. So this is, this is part of being a Christian. We see the world with different eyes. We see the world as a place where God is still at work. You know, most people around us don't care about this. They don't think about this. But we see that in this world, God is at work. And, and for us, when I look at Project Ruth, I have many people who want to help who are not Christians, and they say just as a charity. I try to emphasize, look, this charity has happened here because a group of Christians believe that they can do something. And that's significant. Because it's not just a charity, because nobody else wants to do anything for gypsies in Romania. Gypsies in Romania are hated as much as anywhere else. But this group of Christian people did this because they saw things differently. So I think we need to have a different attitude coming from seeing the world differently. Seeing it with the spiritual eyes which the Holy Spirit gives us as we become disciples of Jesus Christ. And, and Paul is telling Timothy here is, if you want to develop this, this kind of different attitude, you have to behave you have to approach this like a soldier, like an athlete, like a farmer. He uses three analogies which are useful because people understood and we find it easier to understand analogically and by examples. So he says, a soldier, you know, a soldier doesn't get involved in civilian affairs. So don't mess up with things that are not useful. What do we do as Christians that waste our time as a, as a Christian in, in terms of witness? Uh, we need to be focused on the objective of which God calls us to be focused on, 
And in order to do this, uh, Paul says very clearly, you need to obey the, the commander. Our commander is uh, Jesus Christ. So if we want to develop our Christian witness, first of all, let's not get involved with civilian affairs. Let's get involved with the kingdom values, following our Lord Jesus Christ in being disciples of what he does. As we look at this world with the spiritual terms. But then he goes on and says, as the soldier is focused on a job and on his task and doesn't allow his focus to be taken away, and as a soldier moves on to achieve his task in obedience of the commander, you also have to develop an attitude as an athlete. It's interesting that the term athlete appears only twice in the New Testament. It's in this, this verse. So he says the athlete goes for a prize. And you, in your translation it says it's the, the crown of victory. Uh, there are two kinds of crowns in the New Testament. One is the royal crown, from which we have the word diadem, and the crown of victory. This is the crown of victory. You have to play by the rules, like the soldiers uh, obeys the rules, but you have to go for the victory. It's very interesting. You may think that people who have uh, achieved great things for God uh, must have been special people, and some indeed were. I'll tell you the story about a Romanian uh, guy in the 19th century who is the pioneer of the Baptist faith. He's a, he's a very simple guy from Transylvania. His name is Michael Corner. And uh, he, I don't think he had more than four years of formal education. So very farmer. He spoke Hungarian and Romanian. And he was moved by his faith. And... Uh, in his lifetime, this simple man had no seminary training, had no formal training, no possibility to, to go to any fancy theological school, baptized several thousand people because he was focused on the victory. And one of the amazing stories about him is that people kind of didn't like. Uh, there was the, the state church in Romania at the time. They didn't like his witness. And as he came into one village one year, it was winter, and people hated him so much, uh, the, the city hall people and the, the priest. So they took him and they locked him in the village barn where they had a, a big uh, uh, male uh, bull. And they were thinking, well, you know, it's cold. He will either freeze or the bull will have him because it, it was a fierce bull and it was uh, very bad. So um, they, they locked him in there and they, they went home. So uh, the next morning, some people felt really bad. Said, "Well, we shouldn't do stuff like this." So they went back to see what happened. It was the next morning, and what they found was that you know, Corner went in, and uh, he went into the corner of a room. He was scared. There was this big animal, and the animal came and couldn't get to him because he was in the corner. So he started to scratch his uh, head and you know, befriend. And in the morning, they found Corner sleeping by the bull, and the bull provided a heat for his. Uh, for his body, and nothing happened to him. And there was a witness uh, in that place. God honors our efforts when we uh, are uh, ready to uh, look to the crown and move in obedience of our Lord. And God is calling us to look at the world with different eyes, but to commit to, 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 uh, to obeying God with the obedience of a soldier, but also with the dedication of an athlete who wants to win the crown of victory.
the, last, the last example which Paul gives is the, the one of a farmer. The farmer who, uh, who invests and uh, is not lazing around and he just works and works and he works with hoping that he will have a reward. He works like for God and obviously at the end he is worthy of, um, of the results he has. I have a friend in Australia, a good friend, his name is Roger Kemp, he works for the Baptist, he used to work for the Baptist Union there, uh, taught at the seminary, and now he's an advisor to the Baptist missions in Australia. And he told me a, a very interesting story about some of their workers in Thailand. Apparently there's this fellow in Thailand who tried to work with some children, some young people in a village, and uh, they were uh, Buddhist, and um, Apparently, uh, they have a formal educational system in Thailand, but they have an informal one where uh, children come to a temple if they cannot afford going to school, and the temple kind of gives them some religious education and also some education which will allow them, when they go back, to be also uh, working in the village hall or something like that. So these two children became Christians. Um, They were young people, and... Uh, the parents sent them to this temple in, uh, in the main city where this missionary was, and the question was, should they go there or what should they do? Because there were not many options financially, it was decided that they should go there, and the missionary would take them every morning from their home to the temple, and they had the first part of the day was a formal part of education, and then there was this religious education, which a lot was about reflecting, and so they did Bible study together. They stayed in the temple for two years, and they didn't lose their faith a lot. They were discipled by this, this fellow, and they became uh, stronger Christians. And then they were sent back into their village. And when they were sent back into the village, and this is actual. It, he told me the last time he was there was last year. When, he went into the, when they went into the village, they converted a number of other people of their age, and they decided that they need to meet in a place, and they didn't have a place. One of them remembered that not far there was a Buddhist temple which was closed. But in order to use it, they had to ask permission from some sort of area boss for the Buddhist temples. So they went to this person and they said, well, let's not lie. Let's tell him the truth. He said, look, we have become Christians. We would like to use your temple for some religious meetings. Will you let us use it? So he said, okay, I will let you use it on one condition, that you will allow me to attend your meetings as well. So right now there is a group of 12 or something like that. What surprised me was not this. You know how old these young people are? Sixteen. You are never too old, never too uneducated, never too young and not, never too educated to God, do God's work. It's a matter of attitude. We can be strong in our faith if we look at the world with spiritual eyes and if we have the right attitude. The attitude of a soldier who doesn't get involved in civilian affairs. The attitude of an athlete who keeps running for the crown of victory. And the attitude of a farmer who is not lazing about because he needs, he needs to do all the work uh, as if he does it for God. But also Paul, sharing with Timothy, tells him, Besides the attitude, also you must be willing to pay a price. It's not, it's not always uh, uh, clean sailing and, and, and light sailing. You have to pay a price. A price for, um, for uh, preaching the gospel. 
Um, and he makes the comparison in the same way in Jesus Christ suffered. Um, of course, salvation for us is, is through, the, through grace. So we don't pay for our salvation because Jesus Christ paid. But in order to grow in our Christian life and in order to be involved in ministry, we are often called to pay a price. In our, in our church, we have discovered a very interesting thing. I've been trying to challenge our, our congregation uh, to be a giving congregation for mission. We have beneficiaries of much support. Your church, other churches in Britain, and other friends elsewhere have supported our vision for Project Ruth. And I said, it's not good, it's not healthy to be at the receiving end. You have to be at the giving end, too. So we decided to support a missionary in Uzbekistan. And we have done this for many... It's not a lot. It's what we can afford. It's about 100 euros a month. And uh, together with two other churches, we were supporting three guys in Uzbekistan. You know, Uzbekistan is kind of difficult right now for Christians. And one of the guys we supported, his name is Jahangir. And um, he studied in Kishinev. He was to be a Muslim. He became a Christian. And he went back to... To, to Uzbekistan, and he worked for four years for Transworld Radio doing religious uh, programs into Uzbek language. And two years ago, he was arrested by the police several times. He has a two-year-old son, and uh, that forced him to go to Russia now. So he's in Russia now. So pray for, for Jahangir. He's in Russia, still working to translate programs, but he had to leave his country because of uh, harassment. If we want to work for God, we need to be willing to pay a price for the gospel. Uh, and this is a motivation because um, we should be having a burning desire to call others to Christ. I think often we as Christians feel too nice and too comfortable in our churches. Our churches are comfortable. We like to be with people like us, and we surround ourselves with people like us, and we forget that the need I mean, also we have a need for one another. I recognize this. But there is a bigger need outside where people just go without knowing God, where people are lost, where people need some light, where people need some salt. We need to have a passion for the lost. And I'm sad to say that often we forget the passion of our loss, for the lost because of the need for comfort, which is ever-increasing, ever-increasing. And I probably have experienced this transition more than you, because 20 years ago, Romania was in a very uncomfortable place. Now it's better. It's not like here, but it's better. So everybody's on this kind of rat race to, to be more comfortable. And we forget, as Christians, that we look at the world with different eyes. And we, need, we are called to different commitment. And we need to pay a price because we have a passion for the lost the passion for the lost is really the price for our final victory. I would like to close here. Um, at the end of that tour uh, in Germany, I went and, and stayed in a, in a small town uh, not far from Poland, Czech, and Germany, former East Germany, Unite. It's called Hernhut. Hernhut is famous in, uh, in, uh, in church history because some followers of Jan Hus... Uh, were persecuted very much, and they kind of moved around these communities. And in, in the 18th century, one of these groups, they were called the Bohemian Brethren, um, a, a, a count heard about them. His name was Nikolaus from Zinzendorf. He heard about them, and he said, okay, come to my territories, and you can live here in this, in this uh, village. And these were 300 people 
who moved and lived in that village. Their passion for the lost, their commitment to Christ, their way of looking at the world was so big that in 30 years, more than 100 missionaries were sent from 300 people. You know, our church has about 300 members. I don't know, yours looks similar to us. We've known each other for 20 years. How many have we sent to mission? How many of us have gone to mission worldwide? I mean, now the biggest Bohemian Brethren group is in Tanzania because those people then uh, went for mission. I pray that God will continue to encourage us to leave a lasting legacy by our commitment, which comes from an attitude and from a desire to pay the price. Uh, Thank you for allowing me to share this with you and for being an encouragement for us. Amen.